Hey, welcome to the Thinking Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Jeffrey Wu. And I'm super excited to have Michael A. Wood Jr. join us today for this week's conversation. And if you out there have been under a rock, you guys might have noticed that there's a lot of conversation, discussion around institutionalized police systems uh, that are impacting, especially our minority uh, populations, especially our, the black community, as you know, Black Lives Matter, all these different discussions are, are, are so, some of the most important discussions that we're having today. And I think Michael has one of the most interesting perspectives on this space. His background, which I'll let him dive into, includes 11 years experience in the Baltimore Police Department, serving as a sergeant in some of the you know, most sort of highly regarded units in, in the police department, as well as being a four-year veteran of the Marine Corps. Um, I want to welcome Michael onto the show t- today. Uh, well, thanks for having me. We don't do any like little uh, golf claps or anything like that. Just go right into it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So I'll just I'll awkwardly just transition right into going into it. Um, so thanks for having me, and I I understand the background that a lot of people focus on is that I came to the Marine Corps and I came through the police department in a ghetto environment, low economic neighborhoods. But that's not really what separates. What separates is that um, I'm primarily a scholar and a scientist, and I was trying to learn uh, educational endeavors and trying to learn how systems work and and advance my degrees while I was in the police department. And I was seeing, you can't possibly succeed in this system. We have to totally re-envision what we're even talking about, what policing is. 100%. Yeah, that's something that I think is interesting where you're working on finishing a PhD in management studies. Um, and that's something that we at Nutribox think a lot about, the systems aspect of, uh, of improving the human experience. And I think a lot of what you're talking about these days is the system level improvements on policing systems and other institutional systems that govern our country today. Um, and I think that's where it's, you know, more impactful than, hey, let's focus on like one specific, what we like to call N equals one sort of case studies, right? The more impactful challenges are at the systemic level. Um, well, it, it, it's even more than that, Jeff. Like we can't do that kind of work because it doesn't actually even exist in the literature. So it's not even whether we can look at the system and we can follow it through it's not there criminal justice has become like a religion and an ideology so that system we have is what we we have to explain and that system right now when you see how it carries it out let's let's look at how it goes because it's 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 a mayor or an elected politician along with their city council and they will tell you that they're going to hunt for a police chief, they find that police chief, and then they instill the police chief who they like says that they're going to police you in a manner that they want them you to be police, or in a way which uh, they've been convinced is the way that you should be policed. So this, no matter what, involves a small select amount of people telling the recipient of the service how they will be serviced and what services they will get and on top of it how much they will pay for those services right so that's 
that service now is, is a few select amount of people telling you what you will get. And when they say now what you will get is they, they think you're going to fight crime, right? So crime is a, is a symptom. And, and so what they're telling the cops is, is uh, an event takes place and that's a crime. So go and investigate that crime. But what they investigate is the details of that crime. And they build a case to put that person into a prison cell and take them off of, and take them off of the streets. So you have them off of the street, and now the detective goes on and waits for the next robbery to take place to investigate the details of that crime and then to put that person into a prison cell. So what that does is now that person goes into a prison cell. But the problem with our prison cells is that they create the problems that actually caused the crime to begin with. So they exacerbated the marginalization, the lack of resources, the inability to get uh, meaningful uh, employment. Uh, They they exacerbate all these things and then release an individual back out onto the street. And now that individual back onto the street has all these things that are going to add up. They commit another crime. And so now the police will again investigate the details of that crime and try to put that person back into a system which will empirically make them a uh, higher propensity to offend when they get out. Right. Super high recidivation rates, right? It's like a very right. bad negative you know, feedback cycle. Right. So now the mayor, to, even, to make it worse, the next mayor will come in and say, we need to stamp down crime and we need to do it fast because they have a four-year agenda. So in their four-year agenda, you can get crime numbers to be lowered from, from, from an uh, authoritarian perspective. So crime was super low during the Nazi regime. It's like that when you're a tyrant, right? Right. So, so the crime can be stomped down by shoving these people into prison cells and by putting them into the cycle because they're off the streets for that, that, very, that, that moment there. They've been kept away from society for that moment. And now the mayor can get lower numbers and they get out of office. The next mayor comes in and now the crime is spiked and they say, we need to stamp down crime quickly. How do we do this? And then you're now seeing the fruits of that militarization and then escalation. The current system only has one potential end because if you keep escalating the, the way you respond with force, while you're creating the need to respond for force, you just have nothing but an Orwellian future of tanks on our streets telling our citizens when and where they can go and surveilling them 24-7. This is the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing in America. Yeah. We cannot function under this system. That's an interesting picture of what you know the path we're going down under. I mean, I think what you're from, from a, a biology perspective biological explanation right like it's very much we're treating the symptoms right like the street level crime is a symptom of the root cause which is hey there's some actual you know institutional which is like you see this sort of feedback loops and the spikes get heavier and heavier right because you're putting people through the system these people come out they can't get gainful employment they have to resort to crime again they get put back through the system and each of these waves gets i guess spikier and spikier and because the politicians are on short-term sort of yeah, four-year terms or, you know, sort of like the quarterly short-term in, in a corporate sense, like the short-term optimization issues, then you're really punting the ball further and further down the line where at some point it's unsustainable and, you know, 
shit goes down, right? Right, and I, I think we're getting to that unsustainable point. I think the age of technology ha- has brought that more into our light and, and maybe was a catalyst to that event, but this is that escalation that's growing. So right. you hit on, on the main problem there, which is they're not focusing on the causes of crime. So this model that we're talking about actually existing, they would have no purpose to actually achieve the goal of stopping crime because if they achieve the goal, they would defeat their entire purpose. So what operating system and and human uh, expression is going to carry out in a way which ends in its own destruction? I mean, this is the opposite of evolution and the opposite of everything we know, how, how things can operate in any type of environment. So... As they focus on these symptoms, no one investigated what the causes were and how to get to those causes to figure out what they are. So then you're getting into how the model actually has to look. Yeah, I think that brings up an interesting point where I noticed in one of your different, you know, conversations that you actually think that the drug war is one one of those root causes where we're basically criminalizing what are not... I mean, just stepping even a step backwards, like the fact that we're just segregating different compounds, which aren't even truly based on science, where if you look at alcohol as damaging to a person and to society, it's a lot more dangerous than, for example, marijuana or other compounds with potentially therapeutic uses. And it's interesting where, you know, the FDA has sort of segregated out, you know, chemicals that are scheduled, chemicals that are, you know, generally regarded as safe, chemicals that are research chemicals. Um, And now for the criminalized compounds, we're really going after them and and basically creating a black market uh, system where it's inherently criminal and drawing uh, a lot of youth, you know, primarily minority youth into the system and then Again, feeding this sort of negative feedback cycle. So curious to hear you sort of, you know, explore further, you know, your ideas around the drug war and how it's you know, one of the root causes here. Yeah, well, it's not a causation of crime. It's a like a contributor to. Um, I don't know how I would cause that. It, it, it's more an, an enabler of the causes. Um, okay. Because. Like even what you said there, it, it, it paints a, a bad idea in our society, where you said primarily minority drug use, and that's completely untrue. The, the vast majority of people that carry drugs, transport drugs, and use drugs are white people, and not even as a matter of percentages and ratio of the population. Literally, white people have a higher percentage of carrying <laughs> drugs on their person. And, and they have they're, they're better drug dealers too. What makes the difference there is that white drug dealers have resources in America. So a white drug dealer drives a beat up Honda Civic and carries a book bag around, looks like a college student, and drives to his friend's house because he has gas and insurance. He has a place to go. He has access to roads. So the white drug dealer actually has resources. That's one of the reasons why they don't get caught as much. Uh, the black uh, in a dealer in a ghetto type community you're going to think of who's been redlined who through generational trauma and oppression has hardly any resources available whatsoever 
So their drug dealing involves where they can walk and where they can go to. So they're localized, they're, they're obvious, and that's another reason because they don't have the resources. So their lack of resources are, are the, the causation of the crime, and the drug war just pushes those things more in. So when, when you were also talking about how um, somebody ends up to jail and there's these factors, it's it's not it's not even like there's these factors that go in or there's um, like one thing happens. It is it, to end up in that situation. It's like a car crash. You have to have multiple things that are wrong happen at the same exact time. 100%. So it's all it's it's a multitude of failures that lead to the catastrophic collapse of a societal failure of taking the liberty away from a human being and putting them into a cell. So. The drug war enables all that, that, those factors to come together in a dramatic fashion, and it's expressed in the areas where we already have our deep, implicit uh, policy, legal biases throughout time for a country that's rooted in slavery and thinking it's better uh, and pushing white supremacy, colonizing, committing genocide. So this, that's where policing comes from and has evolved. So when you have something like the drug war, which is a crime against uh, non, uh, there's no victim, right? So you're you're uh, trying to regulate against inanimate inanimate objects or something where there is no victim, like whether it's drugs or it's prostitution. They're, these are consensual adult agreements that people know that they're getting into. There's as Caesar Baccaria from the 1700s in Italy is saying how doing things like that break down the societal structure of any civilization. So these things have been long known to be destroyers of, of the very fabric of society. And we have the biggest one going on right now to exacerbate and push out all of our implicit biases where we don't see what's happening in a multitude of angles that are coming in. Um, one of those is like, so we don't think about things like the drug war um, with uh, the crack disparity. A lot of people know that um, crack, what they think of as a black drug, would, would it has a much higher percentage than, uh, than powder uh, or, cocaine, or higher, right? Right, sentences than cocaine. But the actual reason behind that was because uh, they were targeting mid-level dealers, and mid-level dealers dealt in a certain amount, and that certain amount. In the, in the crack dealing was one level and in coke dealing was another level because again, your dealers don't have resources. So a mid-level drug dealer of crack doesn't have as much money to buy in the same level of bulk as a, as a white drug dealer in coke does who's higher up in coke dealing. That's why, and so we don't think about how that ends up playing out on the streets. And so that's our, that's like our big problem is we can think to ourselves, well, drugs are bad. We should fight against drugs. We don't want kids using drugs, so we better do everything we can to keep the hands out of their out of drugs out of their hands. But we don't turn to research and science that says actually the more available the drugs are, the less likely the kids use them. So while that may seem counterintuitive, cannabis usage in in Colorado has plummeted among juveniles. Uh, DUIs have gone down dramatically. The use of uh, Medicare has, has saved over $100 million 
because the older generation has been turning to cannabis for their pain instead of for OxyContin. So you don't have as many overdose from the uh, OxyContin coming off the street and leading to people overdosing that we hear so much about. So there's all these things that come in which end up fighting a war on people because you can't fight a war on animate objects. So the people with no resources and, and uh, implicit biases get multiple factors coming in which lead to that propensity for car crashes that send them to jail because that's our society's answer in this system. And it's counterintuitive to have empathy and to uh, make the drugs available and regulate it. We say, oh my gosh, you can't do that. But we have the evidence in front of us, like Coors and Bush aren't fighting one another over alcohol territory, like the most <laughs> violent period in American history, which was alcohol prohibition. So the second most violent history period in American history is during narcotics uh, prohibition. You can't, I mean, narcotics actually were legal. Bear sold heroin in the United States on counters. And it's not like you had an epidemic of overdosing back when it was legal. Yeah, I mean, Coca-Cola was, was made right. of coca leaves. Right. <laughs> and and just recently they found like tens of millions of dollars in a cocoa factory, I think over in Paris or something like that, in the back where they left a whole warehouse full of cocaine still sitting there <laughs> because it used to be in the soda. Right. So you can see how these things, I mean, we actually have the evidence and we know how systems should work. So it's painful to watch people continually do things we know are wrong and systems we know will fail over and over and over again in yep. policing and no justice. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two points that, you know, riffing off of what you just said. I think one, from a, just a pure biochemistry perspective, like, yeah, again, this, these are just the universe of compounds. And it's like silly to me that like, hey, some have these effects are we're gonna penalize incredibly harshly, and some are like, yeah, Anheuser Busch. You get Super Bowl ads with alcohol, or you get, you know, all these glamorization of tobacco use. And for other compounds, hey, you're you are going to lock up, or you're, you know, you're you're a bad person for you know dabbling in these compounds. Um, and then second, um, I think the interesting point around how uh, different populations are judge on the compounds that they use. I think there's a recent Jay-Z short film about uh, talking about how, you know, the street level uh, folks who are dealing marijuana are, are being locked up. And now you see in Silicon Valley and other, you know, in Colorado, Washington, entrepreneurs, you know, wealthy, primarily white entrepreneurs, you know, from top tier corporate backgrounds like a Microsoft, et cetera, are making multi-million dollar businesses uh, with marijuana, on-demand marijuana, and, and all these different uh, services. Uh, it, it, it's almost morbidly funny how, how that, like, the people that are doing it at such a small scale are getting locked up, and people that are doing it at a massive, massive scale are becoming celebrated entrepreneurs. Well, I mean, so if the system is what I say it is, then that is the expected result. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised by that at all. The drug war, when it becomes a war on people, becomes another tool for white supremacy in America. So it will gather all the profits and, and the proceeds among the elite group that will continue to carry out that. 
and leave it away from those of our implicit biases, like uh, like the marginalized communities that we're already putting our implicit biases upon. So it just makes uh, like policing in general, because of these interactions, makes it so that the, the the worst in our society, it's like a microcosm. So everything that's wrong gets brought to the surface where we can see it more readily because of the intensity of the exchange. So when you have uh, that, that war being drawn on on people, like you then break down police legitimacy because procedural justice is one of the things you need for police legitimacy. And that means everyone being treated fairly in the system. While I don't necessarily agree with that ethically, because that also means that the, the science also will show that if you punish those white people as hard as you punish the black people, well, then people still see that as procedurally just. And I think that's ridiculous. And that's it's supposed to be the other way around that we should treat the minority communities like we treat the 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 white communities right interesting yeah oh the drug war ends up ends up being in that that same mold and carrying out that supremacy in in maryland just recently they did the applications uh for legalized marijuana where they were going to do the distributions and out of tens of thousands of, of applications, no minority owners were picked, although there wow. were tons of minority. In Colorado, the same thing is occurring where these stores aren't being owned by, by black owners. They aren't being owned by the marginal and the marginalized. So we're anticipating like half a million dollars to even apply for the licensings of these places. So that's why you collect it in a capitalistic and white supremacy society. That's what you're going to collect so if it's true that we live in a white supremacist and capitalistic society that punishes the poor, continues to grow the elite, and when we live under an oligarchy, well, then this is what exactly it would look like. Yep. So we keep getting that reconfirmed. I think that's interesting, right? Because I think that it's inevitable, it seems like, that marijuana will be 100% legalized. I think you see interesting clinical research with ketamine, psilocybin, other hallucinogens as potentially therapeutics for depression, PTSD, MDMA, another example. And I can see that these compounds will follow a similar regulatory path as marijuana, going into therapeutic use and then decriminalized and potentially fully legalized. And I think that it goes so much more, more than all these factors that, that compound in with everything. It's like harm reduction, saving money, lowering crime. Right. It is all these things that that drug war brings in because like you're saying with a compound but when you think about cannabis it is literally the safest substance on this entire planet right. the only way you can die from 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 cannabis is if you choke on it so yeah i mean the ld50 rates are like you gotta smoke like yeah i was just looking at numbers you need to have like kilograms of marijuana to even get close to having like a toxic dose yeah it's it's very you know the ld50 rates are super high absolutely and i think it's interesting that you brought up that it's like super hard for some of these minority uh populations without resources to like tap into this growing trend right it seems like that the drug war is losing its momentum but the people that are capturing the profit are the people that are existing players in the ecosystem like it's not trickling down to like minority players and I'm uh, sort of the riff on that, how much do you think of it as a purely a racial basis of discrimination or is it is cultural uh, aspects also part of it? Right. Because I think that with any any. Any person, right, it's 
you're a bunch of different characteristics. Like your race is one attribute. Uh, your, your cultural upbringing is another attribute. Curious to hear your thoughts on uh, culture and how it interplays with race. Obviously, culture and race are very correlated, right? You know, where you're brought up is similar to like, there's a lot of correlation to where you're raised and, and what your parents were. Curious to hear your thoughts on the culture part. Um, so, um, I don't, I, I don't buy in that race is a thing. So race is a matter of perception, not, not of reality. So even to say that it is a thing, it's, it's, it, it's literally not a thing. So we can't, um, even categorize based upon that. And so even when we talk about culture, like, I don't know what that means. So do you mean like hip hop culture? Because if that's the case, like, that doesn't happen in other communities that have that culture. Well, then what so, do you mean then when we say like white supremacy, right? Like you're, you're, what I, when I hear that, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking like Caucasian, uh, you know, European folks. Um, so we're already using sort of racial terminology. So just, you know, just to help, you know, explain all the different terms and how we're using them mm-hmm. would be helpful. Right, totally. But we have to understand that it's a matter of the, the uh, perception or uh, biases and prejudices of the person that's classifying the race, not of the person that's being classified. Okay. So it's like if you took it in computer terms or something, it's like the software being coded to do one thing, but the owner saying that it's coded to do another, and he perceives that it's going to be that ones are are zeros and zeros are ones. Well, they're going to come out with the exact wrong response because they're not getting the accurate data to make their decision. So an example of where you can see that in policing ties into exactly what you were saying. So uh, recently, there was a Harvard study that was not gone through peer review that showed that one particular agency didn't show a disparity in, in uh, their, their area for shooting um, minority people, right? So, so if you have a, a homogenous society like you do in hypersegregated cities, so the, most, the top 21 hypersegregated cities in America are the, the leading cities of violent crime, environmental poisoning, redlining, all these things that come out through history. So when you end up in cities like Milwaukee, the most hypersegregated city, is you, you end up having a whole cluster of almost black uh, and, and poor individuals, and then a whole cluster of white uh, middle class and some poor and a variety going up. So when they're segregated like that, we see police departments almost entirely full of white officers living in those white neighborhoods, coming in, policing the the black neighborhoods and shooting black people at this higher percentage. So you see it there clearly. When you get into these cities that don't show it as much, these are cities that aren't as homogenous. So if someone were to look at a picture of me, like where I'm out with no sleeves on or short sleeves or something like that, I'm completely sleeved in tattoos. I have tattoos all over my legs. If I was standing out in, in a, on a corner of a street with a white beater on in South Central LA and the cops got a call for a Hispanic individual that just robbed a store with tattoos, they would chase me just as much as they would chase anybody else. I would come across and fit that perception of what the race was that they were going for. So when that cop had that bias in his mind, he would still shoot me with the thinking that I was a, was a Latino male, 
But the statistic at the end of the day would show that I'm a white male. So it gets all mixed up. Now, when we go, when we go to an, an all-white community that's poor and has a lot of those factors, such as the coal mining villages in West Virginia, you don't see cops just willy-nilly shooting white people. So that implicit bias is being expressed. I don't think it's so much racism. That's why we have to get caught. It's the perception of race and how that interacts with our preconceived biases. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think if we're looking at humans as state machines, as having inputs and outputs in, in, in our decision-making process, right? If we're inculcated in an institutional or societal bias that hey you know we're put in the spot as as you mentioned these are the these are the variables you know you're in your wife beater you're in a potentially dangerous neighborhood there's been a call for someone that might you know match your profile somewhat you can see how the output would be to be a lot more aggressive than given a different context where it's like hey you're in a west virginia coal mine and everyone sort of right so isolate you're isolating your variables, right? So if you isolate your variables down to what you were saying, like geography and the clothing I was wearing and things.